Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This week, the week of May 29th, rolling into June. Monday is Memorial Day, a day that we reflect, a day that we think of our service members uh, here and abroad, protecting our freedoms and allowing us to do what we do at home. And uh, for that, I am grateful for those that serve and protect my freedom. Thank you. I appreciate all of you, and we'd love to hear from you. Don't be afraid to use the email at podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you, especially if you're serving overseas or domestically here within our country, protecting our borders and freedoms. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email, podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hear where you are, what you do, where you're stationed. Um, I think it'd be great. We'd love to share some of those stories. So don't be afraid to reach out. Anyway, this week, all new episodes by National Fire Radio. Some great heavy hitters. Some very powerful episodes will be coming out as well as a new episode from The Size Up on this Tuesday. So thanks for tuning in. As always, please do me a favor and give our sponsors a quick listen before we roll into the daily episode. This episode's brought to you by Box Alarm Grills. When your apparatus arrives on scene, are you making the best showing? Looking to set your rig apart from everyone else? Want your engine, truck, or rescue to be easily identifiable? There is a solution. With large aluminum grill numbers and full-width rear mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills. Formed by Danny and a team of fellow firefighters, Box Alarm Grills gets it. They know what it means to show pride in your ride, delivering the quality construction and design that fire departments demand. That's why their grill numbers and mud flaps grab attention, enhance visibility, and make your fleet recognizable on scene while responding or just driving around town. Built in the USA by a family-owned business, Box Alarm Grills is quickly becoming the choice of fire companies, apparatus planners, and fire truck manufacturers with out-of-the-box or custom solutions. Check out functional, durable grill numbers and mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills today at boxalarmgrills.com and on Facebook and Instagram. And like Danny and his crew like to say, add pride to your ride. This episode's brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 tins in the market, they are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom design, one-offs to department orders. They can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on, and they provide nothing but top-shelf product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform. And Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout, for a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. Hey, everyone. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode because I'm going to learn just like you are all about our guest. Mike Elston, Battalion Chief, 24 years with the Salem Fire and EMS Department in Salem, Virginia. Chief, welcome to the show, brother. 
Hey, Jeremy. Good to be here, man. Good to be here. This is cool. So a little backstory on how you and I met, and then I'll get into a little bit of your, your, you know, your history, your pedigree, if you will. I was down at the show in, uh, in Virginia, a conference uh, back in February, I believe it was, talking with the guys from Fast Rescue Solutions who are dear friends of mine, Eric Allen, Mike Horst. We're chatting. I'm, che- I'm chatting with Chief Horst, who I always, I'll give him all the time in the world to just sit and chat. Um, and he enjoys that time. And uh, I was talking with Mike Horst, who's a retired chief out of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, it's been there, done that, hard as nails. And he's a dear friend, and he has a fantastic reputation. And I'm chatting. He goes, hey, I got a guy for you to meet. I was just talking to him. I want to introduce you. He said, when he comes back around, I'll find you. I said, great. So I walk off, and literally 30 seconds later, he's running down the aisle, like literally running down the aisle, waving me down. Hey, 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 I found the guy. And over comes Big Mike Elston. And you and I had never met before. Chief Horse puts us together, says, Jeremy, you got to have this guy on the podcast. He's got so much to bring to the table. He loves the job, blah, blah, blah. It'd be perfect. You two will hit it off. And I said, great. And you and I chatted for probably five minutes and the co- we had a lot of commonality in the conversation. We just had a really good go around. And uh, here we are a few minutes later having you on the show. And so I'm absolutely looking forward to learning about you and your story. Um, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun, man. So thank you for being here, truly. I mean that. Oh, thank you once again. Yeah. So 37 years in the fire service, 1986. And you got 24 years in the career services. Uh, you volunteered in uh, Kentland down in Prince George's County, Maryland. You're an associate member there for many years. You're now a life member at Kentland, as well as a life member uh, with the Bedford, Virginia Fire Department also, which is another very reputable fire department, man. You're surrounding yourself with good company. Oh, no, I'm just an associate in Bedford. I haven't been there oh, long okay. enough to make Oh, I'm yet. sorry. Okay, associate member in Bedford. All right, thank you for the correction. So give me give me a little background, man. Where did where did this love and passion for the fire service come from? Well, you know, I was, you know, a little kid, always wanted to be a fireman, then never came to fruition until I was in college. And I moved to Charlottesville to, had big dreams of going to college there and doing great things. and. Yeah, I took an EMT class. My EMT instructor was like, come down to the firehouse and ride a shift with me. That did it right there. Really? I called my mom and dad. I'm like, hey, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to be a fireman. Walking away from college? Uh, Didn't walk away from college. I finished college in Roanoke Valley. Yeah. But, you know, leaving, leaving Charlottesville, my big joke is I left there with three majors. Rugby, punk rock, and the distilled arts. <laughs> I love that. Go down that road a little bit. So I, th- that is, I mean, those are those are good college years, man. Those three topics right there, I love it. Oh yeah, those definitely good times. All three. Yeah, you and know, I yeah. still play music with old friends, and yeah, still have a good time with it all, except for the rugby. I had to. Yeah, left that, but a lot of good memories there. Yeah, so let me let me ask you this: that chief that or that instructor that invited you down to the firehouse, you know, you said you went down there and you you jumped in on a, a ride along for a shift there, and that was it, right? The the hook was the hook was planted, right? 
Yeah. What did it was planted? What was that? Did that gentleman become a mentor to you, or was it just the guy that got you hooked? Like, did he? Like, what about it? What about you? Did he see to say, like, I got to bring this guy down here? I think, I think he's got that fire in his eye, if you will. Uh, I think he saw that I was going down a bad path with some of the people I was hanging out with, mm. and like, hey, come down to the firehouse ride. And he definitely became one of my greatest mentors, and he still is because nice. You know, I occasionally get to teach with him, and that's definitely an honor. Yeah. 37 years in the fire service, still learning. I love that. Um, Absolutely. Mentorship is super important. And um, yes, you know, it is. When, when an individual takes time out, when takes time out of their schedule to see something in someone else and then give them the opportunity to pursue it. I mean, that, what that guy did for you with that invitation that day is probably life-changing for you, if you think about it. Oh, it definitely was. It mm. definitely was. And, you know, Do as you... we grow, you know, there are bumps along the way, but I go back to, like, things that he told me that kept me going through this. Yeah. And do you find yourself ever in this position now? I mean, with 37 years under your belt in the fire service, do you find yourself or have you found yourself in that position where, you know, you are uh, influencing others or you're at a position where, you know, you are maybe considered a mentor to someone? Uh, I have been with several people and, you know, it's an honor because I still love, love the job. I learn as much from them, watching them grow. You know, it's, it's amazing. Success of your people. How important is that to you? That's very important because that's, you know, that's what's going to keep the fire service going. You know, succession is a big thing because my goal is to make sure that people that I'm working with and mentoring, you know, I want them to be much better than I was hmm. at what we do in the fire service. Well, yeah. So <laughs> that's such a load. Like it's, you said it so simply and yet that's such a loaded conversation because I just, I struggle with that in today's times. And you and I were talking before we hit the record button about what it looks like today, today's fire service and, and you know, the importance of pushing it forward. Right. And for you wanting your people to succeed, for you wanting your people to do better than you did on your back, on your hard work and, 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 uh, and drive to push yourself to be better in return, you want people to be better than you were. That takes, a, it takes a certain individual, though, that wants to promote others ahead of them. I mean, it's, it's important for us right now because, you know, just watching, you know, these young men and women in fire service now that have that passion and that drive for the job, the down and dirty parts of the job. This is a blue collar working class job. Mm. It's a down and dirty job, but it's one, it's a craft that we have to constantly, we constantly have to hone. I, I agree with you 100%. I'm just making some notes. Down and dirty job, no doubt. Blue collar job, no doubt. And I think that that is like, that's maybe one of the misses that's happening more than ever now in our job is 
a lot of people are coming up through the education system and believe that furthering their education, uh, and then they want to come out and they automatically think they're going to go to a job where they're going to make $100,000 a year working on Wall Street or some type of cushy office job. We don't promote the arts. We don't promote the blue-collar community as well as we used to, and that is directly affecting the fire service, would you think? Absolutely. When I got in the fire service, you know, most of the older guys that I looked up to, they all had a trade. Mm. And, you know, how many how many people have trades anymore? You know, come from a trade background. In our area, we have guys that, you know, they grew up on farms. They do tree work. You know, we have carpenters, contractors. And we get a lot of love the younger generation coming in with zero trade skills. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you foresee? I mean, as a battalion chief, I mean, you know, you're in an operational role within your department right now. You've been in that role for a while. You, you have, you know, plenty of years under your belt and you're seeing this change. I mean, obviously the job is advancing technologically as well, but we still require these these uh, blue collar trade skills for our workers, and so is it harder to teach the trades than it is the admin side, the education side, or is it easier to teach the trades? Like I'm curious from your point of view. I mean, there's a good there's a good trade off within the firehouse because you know recently we had a big uh, tech rescue training exercise in the state. And we watched some of the guys that, you know, would take the the younger guys like, hey, let me show you how this works. I'll get down here with you, and this is going to work this way. You know, we see it in the firehouse. Hey, let me show you how to do this. And in turn, you got these this younger generation going, hey, let me show you how to do this, how to work this on social media, how to yeah. work this on your phone to where you can pull up these documents and do all this. So I see a good trade. Yeah, I like that. I mean, there is a big trade-off, right? Generational <laughs> trade-offs. It's it's what each generation is good at, and if they could bring it to the table and find and meld it together, it becomes part of the equation, right? And 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 you can get to the answer. And I think that that's a very interesting way to look at it, and we need to value that. And I don't think one set of skills should be valued over another set of skills. Oh, absolutely not. We need both right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with you wholeheartedly on that. I think what's interesting, too, though, when you talk about trades and you talk about learning the trades, a lot of just like the fire service, when you're carpentry, farming, plumbing, electrician, landscaping, a lot of it is learned on the training grounds or on the actual grounds in which you work, just like the fire service, right? We can train. We can put you through a technical school for HVAC training. But until you get into Mrs. Smith's hot attic or into a commercial building to run duck work and you come up against real world problems is when you start to really learn the job. So there's tremendous value, not just in the trade itself, but the act of learning the trade is very similar to firefighting because it requires that fire ground, that actual playground to learn on, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's where, you know, Good lessons to learn and sometimes hard lessons to learn there. How important are the hard lessons? 
you know, we learn from them. We always do. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, those hard lessons are important. Failure, I'm sorry, not failure, making mistakes, right? In, in, 30, in his 37-year career in the fire service, running with some very busy volunteer departments, as well as your career department, I'm sure you've made plenty of mistakes. Absolutely. I Absolutely. Have, I have, too. Talk about that. Talk about that process for you and what that looks like. Um, a lot of times, you know, even, you know, starting out, the what, if I, you know, not pulling the hose right, not, you know, getting that rack on your shoulder right, and you've got that senior guy, like, in your ear, you know, this is why you did this. You did this this way. You got to fix this. This is what you need to do to fix it. Now do it again. Mm. And, you know, even stuff on the fire ground, hey, you should have gone this way, should have gone right instead of left. Why would you go that way? No. And you get those lessons right there. And that's a mistake. That's a lesson you're never going to forget. Yeah. And, because, you know. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Because, you know, those hard lessons, we talk about them. But when it really comes down to it, that could either mean the life or injury to a civilian or us. So, you know, we don't have a lot of margin for error in what we do. That is very true. There's not a lot of margin for error built into to our systems for sure. Let me ask you this. Coming up through, through the system when you did through the fire service, I mean, you know, you're talking mid to late 80s, 90s. Right. I mean, these are times that probably down in Prince George's County when you're riding in Kentland and so on, probably pretty good amount of fire duty. I have to think that you guys were running a lot right then you're in your times of, of being there. The senior men, the guys that were mentors to you. Talk to me about their demeanor and what an impact they had on you. See, I got I got there in 06. So I was kind of a, oh, a okay. late bloomer. Oh, OK. Gotcha. Gotcha. OK. I was kind of a late bloomer, but still. There were guys that were great mentors there that, I mean, it was, it was a very humbling experience for me coming there as a late bloomer because, okay, I think I know this and you realize you don't know as much as you think and they let you know about it. And I thank them for the lessons I learned Mm. because, you know, it taught me to be a better fireman. It taught me to train harder. Because they had, realized that I, they held you I'm accountable. Sorry. No, no, I was going to say. I was, absolutely. I was held accountable. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you find that, I mean, in, in those early, in, in those days, right? I mean, where people, where you had people on the line that weren't afraid to hold you accountable. Did you find in the other, after, after the first, uh, conversation about the mistake were they then there to help you pick up your game to learn from that mistake yeah so so talk to me about that process because to me that's a huge issue that we need to be sure of that if we're if we're going to work with people and point out mistakes and and identify and people take accountability for their actions we then need to give them the opportunity to fix it to get better and we have to be patient and willing to work with them. So there's a lot of kitchen table conversations Mm. and a lot of, Hey, let's go out in the bay. Let's run through this. And there's a lot of, you know, hands-on repetitive, you know, 
skills, you know, getting skills in, sets and reps. There's a lot of sets and reps. Then go back, talk about it again, sets and reps. And you understand the why behind, okay, this is the reason why we're doing this. So it was laid out as you did it. This is why we move this way. This is why you carry this this way. So you know, that has paid off over the years, definitely. Well, and that's the thing, right? And I, I love that conversation because when the table gets set earlier in your career, it allows you and sets you up for success and then becoming an influential person in your later years. I think there's unfortunately great people in the fire service that never got a good opportunity to learn from good people. And they might've gone sideways or their career doesn't look like what it could have because they lacked the mentorship or, or uh, the senior person that could help them perfect or, or master their game. And I think that that's a, that's a real interesting conversation because a lot of people struggle in finding a good mentor. You know, good fire departments have good people. Good fire departments, you know, breed good mentors. Shitty fire departments often don't have good senior people. And that is a problem. Right. And, you know, I had some great senior people coming up, you know, when I got hired in Salem. You know, yeah, I kind of start off, yeah, I know this, I know that, but they taught me a lot of things that paid off in the end. Mm. And it wasn't always on the fire ground. It was sometimes dealing with other people. Yeah. You know, that interpersonal communication. I love what the fire service can do for us as the individual. You know, um, in my life, I equate so many things to the fire service, to the fire ground, to the way we treat and manage people as as uh, the civilians, to the people we work with or volunteer with. I relate so much of my life to the fire service. Um, do you do the same? Is that common for you? Oh, oh absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And we are constantly growing every day. Talk about that. Mm. You know, because we're constantly growing every day because no, there are no two days that will ever be the same in the fire service. There is no such thing as Groundhog Day here. You know, every day we step in here, we step into the world of the unexpected. So, you know, the people that come in, the citizens that we encounter, there's nothing that's ever going to be the same. Yeah. I love that. I just wrote that down. No such thing as Groundhog Day around here. And that's very, very true. And I think we have to have that mindset every single time we cross that threshold and walk into the firehouse. Because I think when we don't, that's when complacency starts to creep in. And uh, and that's when we get a little too comfortable with, with where we are and what we are. So talk to me a little bit more now about, um, you know, the progression. So... You met a great mentor in college, told you to come down, ride along. You fell in love with it. You got the hook. What did that look like for you? Was that then uh, volunteer days for you? Did you did you volunteer right away? And then? Uh, I volunteered uh, in Charlottesville for a bit till school started up in Roanoke, then moved to Roanoke, was in college, volunteered in Roanoke County, uh, graduated from uh, College of Health Sciences with 
my paramedic and emergency health sciences degree, then went to work for Roanoke County for a little bit and, you know, spent some time there, uh, left there, did a couple of wildland experiences out west, uh, really? working on AD crews. Huh. That was, uh, that was pretty crazy. How'd you find your way there? That's interesting. So, uh, the county around Roanoke County has a big wildland urban interface area. So, oh, okay. and got into it, you know, while I was volunteering, it's like, Hey, I can make money doing this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, younger, more fit, skinnier days of <laughs> doing a lot of running and all that. So had a, had a blast with that. Then, uh, went to work for, uh, <clears throat> Pardon me. Yeah. Uh, worked in the emergency department at a local hospital for a bit. Uh, did some transport service stuff until application process came up for Salem. Applied. And you know, here we are today. Yeah. And that, I mean, but along the way, though, you found yourself, like, within your career. I mean, you, you joined Kentland. Right, you said you joined in two thousand six, right? Around late two late two thousand six. So you're already into your career by thirty years. Yeah, twenty or much. twenty years. Twenty years in. Yeah, twenty and you, years in. You decided to join one of the most one of the busiest volunteer fire departments in the country. Yeah, that had to be a little bit humbling, no? Absolutely, it was humbling. <laughs> Absolutely, so, it was. I learned some of my best lessons there. Yeah, I mean, you alluded to that before, but I'm just thinking, like, I'm starting to wrap my brain around this conversation now, saying, like, all right, this guy's got 20 years in on the fire service. Things are things are uh, moving in a direction that he's happy with. And then he says, let me go challenge myself further by going to ride with a busy, aggressive fire department. And then yeah. you you drive up how many hours to get to Kentland? To it was five hours. Five hours. So you yeah. drive you drive five hours. You go up there. You spend a couple days there. You get your butt kicked in for probably for a couple days, and then you head back home, and then you come back up again and do it over and over. Yeah. And you know, uh, my uh, my chief in Bedford, Todd Stone, he. I wanted to go up and do a ride along in New York. And he's like, yeah, they cut that out, but here, go check this place out. So I did and ended up there and had a good time. Are you looking for new forcible entry tools, seatbelt cutters, pouches, bags, screwdrivers, or even hose straps? Then head over to our friends at Modus Fire Rescue. They just might have what you're looking for. They're best known for their tool, the Snagger. But currently, they have more than 25 products on their site, with more being added monthly. Also, while you're there, use code THESIZEUP, one word, to save 5% off your order. So that, okay, so that's what it was. You went down there, you checked it out, you you did a ride along there, and you got the hook. And you were like, hey, I, yeah. I think I want to do this. I'll tell you, man, I've, uh, I've been there once or twice now, um, and uh, spent the day there one day. Uh, with the high-vis lighting crew, we were doing a joint project. We were down there, and we ended up having lunch with the guys there, and they were very hospitable, very welcoming. And I'll tell you, man, when the, when the tones dropped, I mean, those guys are out the door literally in 15 seconds. 
Um, and there's no joke. It goes it goes from fun and, and laughter to all business, literally at the snap of fingers. Um, and there's something to be said for that. There's a very strong culture there. Did you know or understand that culture prior to arriving there? Uh, very little about it. Okay. Uh-oh. Uh, BLS call going out. You're going? Oh, no. Oh. Not at all. Okay. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, it was eye-opening. I learned about that culture during my ride-alongs. And, you know, I was like, this is crazy. I like it. Yeah. Were you missing that? Some days I do. But then there's some days... It's like, yeah, I can't even hang with those young kids now. <laughs> I get it now for sure, right? But back then, coming in, I mean, you were 20 years in, and then you, you yeah. arrive there, and it's such a different way about it and, um, and, and how protective they are of who they are. And, you know, if you're, you know, the, you know, the, the belief that, you know, this is who we are and, uh, and this is – you know, I you know it was cool. I had a, a a bunch of conversations with some of the older guys that were there that day, and their demeanor of of how much they loved that firehouse and the fire company and um, and those the the amount of history on the walls there and the guys that have come before them, they're very protective of that. And there's something to be said, something to be said very loudly about that and how important that is in the fire service. Yes. Did you experience that before getting there? I mean, because, listen, not all fire departments have a culture like that. And, um, you know, there's something to be said for it. And there was a lot of, you know, getting there that first time, a lot of that side eye, go, like, who's this dude? Mm. Is he going to hang? Where are you from? What's your story kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. And, Yeah. Well, it's a no, no it's a no of, nonsense place, man. We're there. Yeah, it's a no nonsense place. There to do work. Yeah. Either the, you're there to do work or have a nice day. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that's. I mean, listen, man. So humbling, I'm sure. Twenty years in, let me walk in the door of this place. I like it. I'd like to do this. And uh, how many years have you been with them now? Since '06, I guess, right? Yeah. Then you know. Uh, I haven't really run regularly, regularly up there since uh, a little bit before. My son was a member up there also. Oh, okay. Cool. And he got injured in a, uh, my son was a mayday up there. Oh, wow. All right. So I really haven't been up there since he got injured. Okay. But yeah, I miss the guys. I miss that culture and everything. And, you know, the big thing it's it's about my son. Mm, of course, of course. I mean, that's you know, family first, of course. So, yeah. is uh, did he did he make out all right, or what? What's the? Yeah, yeah. He uh, he's doing well. He's back at his regular job. Okay. And you know, doing phenomenal with that. Okay, great. So yeah. it's 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 all good, and you know, the guys up there were you know nothing but phenomenal. Mm. Well, we still are. Yes. I mean, super important to take care of our own, recognize that, right? And do the right thing. Always Absolutely. do the right thing Absolutely. for sure. Yeah. 
So as as uh, as your days there, uh, I mean, that had to be a lot of fun in the, in the day of when you were there, and I'm sure there's a lot of memories and stories and experience to be made there. Um, in your own career, battalion chief, did you ever want to or aspire to be in this position, or you found yourself to get there? Uh, I was a captain on a at our tech rescue station. And it's like, uh, I'll give it a try. Let's see what happens. Mm. Okay. And yeah. And you know, it's another step in that growth in the fire service. You know, we constantly have to grow. Agreed. So, you know, and that makes way for some of the guys behind me to come up and fill that spot that I had and do great things. Yeah, and and that was a tech rescue position. Is that what you said, Captain? Yeah, I was the at tech- the. Uh, I was at our tech rescue station. So, yeah, that was that was a good time. Is that a passion of yours, the the tech side? Oh, it is. It is. It is really enjoy that. Uh, okay. Yeah. What like what a- first time I got on rope. Okay. Oh, okay. So ropes guy, got it. You guys are start off as rope guy. Yeah. You guys are a unique breed, man. I, a lot of my buddies are heavy rescue guys into ropes uh, and, and all of that. And I just I tell them to enjoy it. And uh, I'm gonna stick with the water and the uh you know the the standard truck and engine work. Uh the the tech stuff for me, psh, I don't know. There's I don't have this crazy excitement about it. What about that did you enjoy? I mean, what you know, what I mean, there's so much there, right? When you go into that tech space. Um, you know, there's so many different disciplines that you can immerse yourself in. What, what about it? What was it? Just the personal challenge of it? Oh, the challenge of it. And just, you know, if I'm doing something that, wow, this is really cool. You know, the, the rope, the con space, uh, trench stuff, uh, the structural collapse component. It's all just, you know, very interesting. And just really enjoy getting out there and doing it. Yeah. No, it's cool. I mean, I, I get it. I absolutely get it. So that's fun. And then, so as a, as a, a captain then, I mean, it's, you know, especially in the tech world, um, a lot of responsibility falls on your shoulders. I mean, your company's got to be squared away. you got to have people below you that, you know, trust in you and your mission and, and, uh, and building out that, that department or that company. Um, super responsive. A lot of responsibility there. Absolutely. And, you know, making sure that you're passing on skill sets to the guys so that when, you know, they're coming up through the ranks, you know, they have that passion, that drive to get out and do the same, just like everything else on the fire ground, you know, with our bait, with our skills. Wow. And I love that, right? The fact that you recognize the importance of how you treat those around you or the company, the guys coming up behind you and giving them the opportunity to shine, like you said before, there's something about a boss or or a uh, captain or a chief that wants their people to succeed, and I just think that that makes for a very good conversation for sure. Um, what about the battalion chief position? I mean, do you enjoy being in the car? I mean, that's that's got it. You know, that's always one thing where you you now affect change in a different way on the fire ground. I do enjoy it. I do. I do enjoy what I do. There are some days it's like, oh yeah. I miss riding that right front seat. Mm. But, you know, I have a new job. I have new duties and responsibilities. 
So I'm not just, you know, looking after a station of guys. I've got a whole shift that I, yeah. you know, got to think about. Right. Right. I think the battalion chief spot is such a unique position. I talked about this the other day on the show. Uh, I forget who I was talking to about it, but I love the the position because I think that that position can affect the most change because you're you're bridging that gap between the companies and the the you know you're still involved in the operations, so you're still going to fires, you're still watching the guys run. It's now your sandbox, if you will, and you know if you did it right coming up as a firefighter and as a boss of a company, and now you're in a battalion chief spot. You can affect probably more change today than you ever could because you can bridge that gap between the asphalt to town hall or city hall or to the chief, you know, the admins. And I think that the battalion chief spot is a very, very good spot. And, you know, one of the things that's key to that is having good captains. Having good captains with good crews, that's, that's everything. I'm just, I'm here to support them. That's my job is to make sure that my captains and their crews are taken care of. That's, you know, that is my job. Mm. No doubt. Without good captains, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't have good crews on fire ground. Well, and that's it, right? I mean, you know, ultimately, if, you're, if your companies are, are put together well and they're in a good position, uh, you as a chief, it's your fire ground, however – you're working on behalf of the people, and when you let your people work, things go very well, especially when the companies are well put together. Yes. Well, it's got to be fun, then. It's got to be a rewarding position for you, especially when you have the right people on the fire ground. Oh, absolutely. You know, recently we've gone to, like, several fires. Where, you know, I'm sitting here watching everybody working like, yeah, those guys are like, doing it right i mean it's looks good you want to you immediately you're out bragging on them and the job that they're doing there's something to be said for a boss that brags about his people i freaking love that man too many bosses talk about themselves and not about their people when in fact they should be only talking about their people and not themselves and um it's it's refreshing to hear a chief or a company officer just talk about their people and not themselves. And uh, I do appreciate that. Talk to me about some other loves that you have. Um, you know, I know you're, uh, you're in the pipes and drums. I know that's very important to you. Talk about what that looks like in, in, uh, in your world and, and how active you are with it and what that's done for you. So uh, got into that maybe 25 years ago. Or so, just it's like, you know, you'd get, see fire, fire department stuff going on. There's always a pipe and drum band. It's like, that looks cool. I want to do that. So right next to uh, the firehouse I work in right now, the, my civilian band practice is next door to St. Paul's Episcopal. So I walked over there one day. It's like, hey, I want to learn how to do this. So I started taking piping lessons and about, Midway through my lessons, you're like, hey, we need a bass drummer desperately. Hmm. So, went over, became a bass drummer. Then did that for quite some time, and I went up, and they put out a request for a mass band for a funeral up in Northern Virginia. And that was my first, you know, time going up 
And it kind of hit home then because when you see it and you're a part of it, it's like, hey, we're here to help honor the family and honor one of our fallen. This is this is awesome. Then, you know, did some happier events that were even more fun, you know. Uh, got to go and go to Texas, experience Chief Lasky's, uh, the Honor Guard and Pipe and Drum conference that they have. That was a good time. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> then, uh, you know, played at FDIC a couple of times and, you know, and just to get, you know, be out there with that group of men and women in the fire service that here we are honoring our own, but we're here having fun. And, you know, it's fire service tradition. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a blast, especially when we get out and play for good times and good things. Well, that's it. I mean, it can't all be somber, right? And, you know, it's a celebratory, um, you know, we, we celebrate a lot in the fire service too, right? As much as we memorialize, we celebrate a lot as well. And, um, you know, bagpipes and the drums have always been a part of that traditionally. Um, when you put on your your um, outfit for, you know, your kilt and you, you become – part of the pipes and drum band and you go to do an event, we say it's a memorial or a funeral or wake detail, something like that. What is, what is that internal feel for you? I mean, you know, I, I never, I never, I I know I've sat, I've I've stood at attention many of times for, uh, I've stood honor guard for caskets. I've, uh, I've attended many funerals, line of duty, death funerals. When in, in regards to that, when we're memorializing someone, the, it's got to be such an honor, I would think, for you to be a part of the ceremonial celebration of that individual by being a part of the pipes and drums. Is that accurate to say? It's very accurate because, you know, we're part of the honor guard and we're there for the families. We're there for the families and we're for the brothers and sisters that lost a member. Yeah, It's all about them. You know, and to be there to, you know, support them, to honor them, it that's the important part. No doubt. I mean, that's, you know, that's it, right? I mean, it's, you often think about how powerful those moments are. And for people that have never attended, a, you know, a line of duty death funeral in particular, but even just a funeral of one of our own, um, maybe under terrible circumstances or natural circumstances, it's never easy, and the the memorial part of it is um, celebrating their lives, and um, it's done in a in a traditional way. And with pipes and drums, it is ceremonial. And like when Amazing Grace drops at a funeral, there's not a dry eye on the street or in the building. Oh no, not at all. And I just think it's this moving tribute to those that have fallen. And it's our way of of sending them off in a dignified and uh, celebratory way to let them know that, you know, we're there not only to pick up where they left off, but also for their families. And so I have to think for you to be a part of that, that's it's uh, it probably shapes your your outlook and your mindset quite regularly when you when you do events like that. It does. And you just, you know. 
you sit and after the ceremony you talk you get together it's like wow this yeah. you know yeah for sure yeah. And then the, ce- yeah. the celebratory side too, right? So then we have events, uh, awards, you know, uh, award day or, um, you know, exciting events like that or holidays, St. Patrick's Day or weddings, you know, all these sub- celebratory things too. You get to be a part of those memories for individuals too. I mean, that's, that's got to be a lot of fun. Not only that, but I'm sure like the fire service with the brotherhood and sisterhood, the camaraderie that comes from a group like that is you know it's it's ingrained into your lifestyle it's who you are oh it is it is and you know like good time stuff is always you know yeah always welcomed yeah (laughs) you know i mean that's the thing it's like when the phone rings and the pipes and drums are needed it goes one of two ways right it's either yeah you know a very good high or or an awfully low low and um, that's got to be hard on you guys, too, because, you know, doing funeral after funeral can become difficult, I can assume. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah you look forward to those good times. Yeah, for sure. Talk to me a little bit about you got. So back on the fire aspect of it, you got 24 years in Salem. I think you are. Your time, I don't want to age you. I mean, you got 37 years in the fire service, 24 in your career job. I would think that that 25-year mark is starting to approach. You're thinking about, I don't know, maybe, I don't want to say retirement, but slowing down or looking at something else. I mean, you know, most guys are 20, 25, 30 years and so on. So what does the future look like for you? I know you mentioned to me earlier the importance of identifying the end of the career and looking back to say, what's the future coming up behind me? And have I made an impact on that? Talk to me about your feelings on that. So really haven't set a date yet, but yeah, I'm not putting you on the spot, brother. (laughs) Yeah. Really haven't set a date yet, but you know, there's so many young men and women coming up. I mean, there are great leaders that, you know, at some point you got to realize that, Hey, I've had a good career. I need to step out of the way, enjoy what I have left of my life. And, you know, let them come up and lead. I We have a duty and an obligation to provide opportunity, right? Is right. That, is that accurate? Very accurate. Very accurate. And sometimes that means we have to get out of our own way. And some people struggle with that. But I think the people that don't struggle with that are the ones that have constantly promoted their people along the way. And when you want those around you to do better and be better, you're willing to step back or step aside and let those people and let them have their time to shine. And those that are self-centered or focused solely on their own selves or career typically don't acknowledge that and when that needs to happen and they hold their people back. Yeah. Yep. That's a good assessment of that. Yeah. So learning from your people, you mentioned it earlier. It's important to you. You're still a student of the game. You teach. I mean, you, you, so you're out teaching. You said a highlight of yours and you're very humbled for it is the opportunity to still teach with that gentleman that asked you to join him on that first night in his firehouse to come see what it was all about. That's gotta be fun for you. 
full circle. Oh, it is. It is. You know, getting out and teaching a, I teach a truck school in Smithfield. I teach at the Bedford Truck School. You know, taught with traditions training. Uh, I teach at the Virginia Beach Structural Class Specialist School in breaching and breaking. And, you know, it's always fun getting out there teaching, learning new things, passing on information, getting you know, telling the students, we learn as much from you guys. So if you have something, a technique, show us, teach us about this. Mm. That's the fun thing about what's happening now is so many guys are attending these different conferences and they're getting immersed in this, you know, unbelievable opportunities of learning. And then to have a culture where when they come home, they're welcomed to share it. They're welcomed to show us what they've learned or, or what they've picked up along the way. Some guys go to conferences. They, they go to your truck school, right, Mike? They, co- they go to your truck school. They pick up a tip or two. They take it back and departments shit all over them for trying to better themselves. Isn't that wild that we do that? I've, yeah, I've seen that happen in places, and you just kind of like wonder why. It just doesn't make sense, right? Like holding your people back or vilifying them for wanting to be better or do better and make the job better. I mean, it's just mind-numbing, and like for that to happen, it sucks because there's great opportunities now more than ever and I'm sure there's a lot of people that hold off on attending these opportunities because they know it's not worth it. And, you know, when they come back and they get their balls broken. And um, and we don't want that, man. Like, we want a culture where we promote one another to be better and to do better. And I, I know you stand for that. We've talked about it over the last 45 minutes. That's an important topic for you, um, for sure. Oh, yeah, because, you know, and these men and women come back and it's like, hey, let me show you what I learned. And it's like, hey, guys, on next shift, why don't you teach something that you learned at truck school and support them on that? You know? I agree with you. These truck schools, are they? is it a local thing for you? Because I, like, I, we don't have that up here. So why is it called truck school? Is it just truck company type work or what, what's yeah, the it's okay. truck truck company work so uh like smithfield yeah it's friday is a day of speakers excellent speakers and saturday morning boom you're right into sets and reps on different skills you know search search with a can forcible entry ventilation you know mayday drills it's a full day of it Get some lunch in you, do it again, come back Sunday, hit it again. Where, why such a focus on the truck? Is it because the, other than extinguishment, all other, <laughs> the engine guys are going to love that. Other than extinguishment, everything else is performed by the truck. Is that why it's more encompassing of the job? Like, why is, it, mean, why is it a truck school? I'm just curious. I love it. I, I love the concept. Uh, I got pulled into it. They're like, hey, you like truck skills? Yeah. Yeah. We do truck skills. But there are, you know, there are the companies out there that do engine company skills. Of course. uh, Of course. And, but this happened to be the opportunity that presented itself for me. So definitely jumping on it because, you know, I do like truck work and all. Yeah. No, that's yeah. that's fun. I mean, I just love the title of it, Smithfield Truck School, the Bedford Truck School. Like, I just, 
I love the idea, the concept of it. Um, and, and for it to be local, like, so in, in being local conferences, then, uh, these guys must eat this shit up. They probably love it, huh? Oh yeah. And, you know, they sell out so quick, mm. but we've at uh Smithfield, they've had students from that drove 12 hours from Tennessee to True. be there. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Guys come from out of town for this and. You yeah, know, there's something to be said for it. it. Yeah, people want, you know, the skills and knowledge that these instructors are giving. You know, then these are these are folks that are taking it back to their departments, excited about what they learned. Excitement is contagious, no? Oh, absolutely, it is. So. How do we keep and get people excited? How do we how do we encourage and want our people to be excited about the job? I think guys get turned off or dismayed along the way, and a lot of times because of that, the excitement is not what it was for them in their first five years when they're at their 20th year. You got 24 years in the career seat, 37 in the fire service. You're still getting excited, no? Oh, absolutely, I do. And what it's is it? It's a love. It's a passion. Mm. It's that younger generation you enjoy when they push you? Oh, they, they will push you, definitely. <laughs> and that's that's what's really cool. You know, and within that group, you find those that are the movers and shakers, the influencers that will influence others and also, you know, get that spark going in the older crowd too. It is fun to watch. There's, there's unique people in this world and in the fire service. I love those guys that can bridge all age groups based upon their enthusiasm and excitement and how they, how they can sell themselves to people. It is exciting to watch. And there are people that I know all over this fire service that can excite the oldest guy to the youngest guy. And it's just infectious, man. When you, when you find those people, not everyone can do it. It's, it's, I, I think inherently it's a, a trait that not everybody has. Right. Right. And so we're going out. And you know, don't know. And the thing is you find those guys and you, you know, you've, feed them, you nourish them, you, you nurture them to keep that passion and fire that they have going. Yeah, I think those guys, though, inherently have it because they have this way about themselves where they know how to navigate the space and they have this confidence about themselves that can't be challenged by others. And I just, I love that. We need more people like that. Right. Right. So what's next for Big Mike? What's next for you, Chief? We're wrapping up. What what do you got that's next for you? Anything exciting? Anything coming up that you're looking forward to or No, just it, enjoying each each day that's given to me. I love it. That's okay. That's good. I challenge you this. Keep doing what you're doing. And keep working with these young guys and be inspired by them and let them do what they do. And um, 
I think when we let our people work and, and we manage them in a way that shows them we, we respect them and appreciate their efforts and what they bring forward, uh, you get the best out of your people. Um, and I just, I get that sense about you. Um, and, uh, and I just enjoyed the conversation today with you, man. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely enjoyed speaking with you. Good, Chief. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, it's always fun to learn and meet new people. And, uh, I'm certainly honored to have you on today to call you a friend. Uh, and, uh, it was nice to learn a little bit about you. And if I can ever help or, or do anything for you, Chief, do not hesitate to reach out. Thanks, Jeremy. It was a pleasure to be here. Yeah, good, man. Chief, stay right where you are. I'm just going to wrap up with the, uh, the closing and then I'll get right back to you. So hang on one sec. Okay. Okay. Cool. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Battalion Chief Mike Elston, Salem Fire and EMS out of Virginia. 24 years as a firefighter there, as well as 37 years overall in the fire service with some highly decorated departments. A man that loves the job. Great conversation today, so thank you for joining us. Take this conversation, take it back to the firehouse and talk about it, because when we talk about the job... We are making the job better. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.